Welcome to Harvest Valley Worship Center's Sermon of the Week. You can discover more about our church, pastors, and special guests at hvwc.com. We hope that you are blessed by today's message. Awesome. My, uh, my uh, sermon today is, is on the annual topic of taking territory through synergy. Synergy is biblical. I didn't know if you knew that. God likes to partner things together to do something greater than you could ever do on your own. Did you know that? God actually doesn't want you to be independent, self-righteous, and self-willed. I'm sorry. I just popped somebody's bubble. I'm so sorry. No, I'm not. No, I don't want to lie from the pulpit. That's not good. I'm so grateful that we have a people that are choosing to live a life not according to the culture of this world or this region, but according to the culture of heaven. I'm excited and glad about that. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Come on, Jesus. Come on. Let's go. So good. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm just trying to prime the pump for y'all this morning. So I'll say, I'll give all the affirmations ahead of time. Amen. All right. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> Let's print one out. The challenge is to get through the whole service having shouted one of every single one at some point. Oh, come on. That's good stuff right there. I love it. <laughs> oh, man. Well, revival is in the air. God is on the move. He's doing something different. He's doing something different. We're seeing 21 colleges have 24-hour prayer meetings happening on campuses now. 21. And and as uh, during our prayer time, it was brought up this concept of it's easy to sit back and be critical of the things that we're not a part of. No, we would let us not be us, Lord. Father, whatever you're doing, we bless it. We value the move of God. People are praying, worshiping, repenting. Oh my gosh, their sermons weren't um, exegetically polished. Oh darn. Oh darn it. Oh darn it. They used an analogy I didn't like. Oh. Lord, have mercy on us. We must be a people that operate in the opposite spirit to the regional forces, customs, and strongholds if we are going to see revival happen. Revival is when people are so on fire for God that they don't care about pushing against the culture. They don't care about whether or not their faith creates tension for the people around them. Because as my faith creates tension, they might get a breakthrough and see God in a manner they never would have seen. But if I was cold, lifeless, and lukewarm, guess what? They see nothing. Right? So we want to be be men and women who are set on fire for Jesus in revival. We want to, in this process, coming out of the regional forces, customs, and strongholds, we must be a people that willingly partner with each other. We must willingly partner with one another. We're so used to doing it our own way, aren't we? 
we're so used to, well, this is what I think today, so this is what I'm going to do. And we miss out on all the opportunities because we're unwilling to come alongside or to come with and willingly cooperate with the people around us because we're so interested in what we want and what we want to do and how we think it should be done and how we want to do it that we're missing all the opportunity for fellowship and powerful walk in Christ because we're kind of stuck on ourselves. Are you guys okay if I preach this morning? Okay. See, one of the things that has to happen is that we need to learn how to willingly, how to willingly submit to one another in love and grow in Christ-like character. Come on, man. I love being Pentecostal, charismatic, you know, a little bit of, you know, Holy Ghost, woo-woo, whatever you want to call it. You know, well, I love it. But one of the things that we can tend to focus on is the power and not the person. We can focus on the gifts and not the character. And we have to develop our Christ-like character to the place that when difficulty comes, I'm not running to some other thing to have an experience. Because I think that the experience is what I need when I need to actually allow the storm to cause my roots to grow a little deeper because I'm choosing not to move. I'm choosing not to leave when it gets tough. Come on, church. So our culture, all right, let's see. Let's make sure it's on, huh? (laughs) Yes, our culture is so low. God has a path. God has a plan for revival. And right now our culture is so low. What I put there, our culture thrives on individualism, independence, and criticism. We talked already talked a little bit about that. So God gives us a model, and we see that the model goes like this. It goes from solo, independent, me, 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 my way or the highway, and then it moves into groups. So Jesus actually gives a model. See, we're gonna, I'm going to talk about how does revival come? Because it's not going to come with you partying by yourself in the woods with Jesus. That's not going to bring revival. That might bring you an encounter, and you need that encounter. Don't get me wrong. You need those times alone in the woods with Jesus, but that is not church. It's not. It's the assembling together of believers. So when we assemble together, when we come together There is purpose behind it, and it's more than, wow, we sang some good song, and the preacher's hair was on fire today. It's, it's so much more. So we see a model in Luke chapter 9, which is one of the craziest chapters in all of Scripture. But we see that, that Jesus is with the 12 disciples, and he says this. He called the 12, this right, right at cha- uh, verse 1 of Luke chapter 9. He called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Okay, word and deed. Did you see that? It was preach and heal. Anybody who says that, well, the early church only grew by preaching, they're like, that's weird to me. We just don't see it anywhere in the New Testament, that it was solely the preaching of Scripture that caused revivals to break out. There was always, I I love in in Romans, 
uh, 14, Paul says, I know that I fully preach from Iconium to Illyricum. I know that I fully preach the gospel of Jesus Christ through the signs, miracles, and wonders that were done through me. I know I preached because I did. Isn't that great? And God actually has a plan for revival that involves preaching and doing. So we can do and say nothing and now thank you, you're blessed. But if we don't give the glory to Jesus and invite people into the kingdom, we've got a problem. Okay, are we good? He sent them to preach the kingdom and heal the sick. Verse 3, and he said to them, take nothing for the journey, neither staffs and snaff. Snafu. Neither staffs nor bag nor bread nor money and do not have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. We see here that the followers of Jesus are given authority and he trains them how to go and take territory in a group. They do it as 12. They didn't go two by two here. They went as a group. They went as a, the 12 of them went city to city. Wandering around. See, Jesus puts us in community. He puts us in families. He puts us in groups in order to teach us, in order to train us, in order for us to learn what it means to walk with Jesus. This is part of activating gifts and calling. He was activating their gifts and calling and he did it in a crowd. He didn't say, Peter, I got a plan for you. Peter, come with me. Come with me over here now. I'm going to activate your gifts and calling all by yourself so that you can be a minister. John, come here. I, 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 I got to have a conversation with you. Activate your gifts and calling over here by yourself. You didn't do it. Come here, 12. I'm activating all of you. Go do it. You've seen me do it. Now go do it. Go do it together. Okay. So we see Jesus take us from corporate experiences and encounters, right? Because this is what that is. It's a corporate experience. Go out together. Go do it together. There's a corporate experience and encounter that Jesus gives. And then he then gives us direct mentorship partnership. So it's funny because he moves from in Luke chapter 9, it's the group. A bunch of stuff happens. We're going to talk about all the stuff that happens here just right after the 12 come back and they're like, woo, we went and healed and preached everywhere. It was amazing, right? And then the revelation of who Jesus is gets tested at that point and things happen and and, and we'll talk about it. But then he moves them into going from being a, a big group into pairs. And he moves them two by two. He moves them into smaller units right? In order to cover more territory. Okay. So I just want to say one of the hardest parts about being in the body and being in a family is this word called submission. It's a difficult word. It's one that can often raise the, the hair on the back of our necks because we don't understand what it means. It is never about control in the kingdom of God. 
Control is demonic and it is not the kingdom of heaven. So if you're a husband and you think your wife needs to submit, which means that you get the ability to control your wife's actions and behaviors, that's demonic. Don't know if I can be more clear. It's demonic. It's from the devil that your wife obey your commands as if you're God. That's not God. Now, submission is a willing, cooperative partnership. Submission is given, not taken. Somebody say amen. Amen. All right, so when submission is given, now we get to cooperate with each other. If I'm going to love my wife the way, I don't know why I'm here, but we're here. Though I'm going to love my wife the way that Christ loves the church, and I'm going to lay myself down for her, that means I'm not fighting for my way. All right. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. See, God equates humility with submission. And so often we're so fighting for our own agendas that it's hard to find God. Because we're so self-centered and so self-focused. And, and let me tell you, when there has been, uh, I, I just want to address this. When there has been, uh, you've been in a controlling pastoral church environment where, where you've had uh, spiritual abuse happening. Um, I, I, just, I just want to repent on behalf of any leader that has hurt you, that has wounded you, because it is not the will of God to control you and manipulate you to do what they want you to do. That's, that's not the Lord's will for your life. The role of leaders is to serve. Not do it for me, but how can I help you? And there's those moments where if we're submitting to one another, a leader will see things in you that you can't see in yourself and you need to trust that maybe a decision they're making or what they're doing, you're going to have to trust them and willingly submit to what they ask you to do even if you don't like it sometimes. I've done it so many times. I'm like, this guy's out to lunch. He's not hearing God. But when you submit, you're the one who gets blessed. It was my ability to act, to be submissive in the process of becoming a pastor when the church here was all falling apart. And I'm like, Waiting in the wings. God called me. He told me I was going to be a pastor and I'm ready to go. And I'm, (laughs) they're not letting me out of the gate yet. Come on, what's going on around you? I'm like all type of fired up. And you know what they did is they said, Nope, you're not ready. What? What do you, I got the fire of God in me on this, Pastor. No, you're not. So I'm ready to write an email to the, administrative bishop because 
the church has fallen apart and we're losing all the members and, and, and we're, we're in a schizophrenic church right now because I've got, I've got Pastor Joel Swartzel who's up here in a double-minded church is a better word. Uh, I, I got Joel Swartzel up here who's, who's in his late 70s and he is um, not fire and brother. He's just good old school Pentecostal. And I'm just learning how to preach. So I'm learning how to, how I'm doing like very soft, gentle teaching. And he's like, wow. And I'm like, well, you know, the scripture says we're all over the place. And I don't know how anybody stuck through that season. Uh, I mean, when we started my first Easter, we had seven people. Hallelujah. Amen. But the point being that I was feeling the tension about what I wanted and what I thought was best. And so I began writing an email. And of course, the Holy Spirit said, you better delete that bad boy. Right? So I deleted it. And then I went to my pastor who's over Joel, who's overseeing the work. And I said, hey, I'm struggling. I just feel like I need to tell I'm struggling. I feel like I'm having a hard time. I thought about writing this email. And he's like, oh, that's the best move you did, deleting that email. He said, uh, he said his mother just died. And uh, he doesn't have capacity to handle you being unable to wait. Oh, okay. <laughs> Two weeks later, unbeknownst to me, they were ready to they were ready to put me in. They were all ready. I wasn't. So I like prayer and like crying out to the Lord in that season, feeling so frustrated that the thing that I want wasn't coming to pass. But I had to trust my leaders. I had to submit to the leaders and do what the leaders asked me to do. And that was actually the door that it opened. Joel said clearly, if you had written that letter, we would have started looking for somebody else. Woo. Come on. Submission is me willingly cooperating and laying my life down. Submitting to one another means that we're willingly listening and, and wanting to cooperate with one another. There should not be a spirit of control. Now, control feels very funny because we can make anything control us. We can make someone else's emotions control us. I don't want to do that because they're going to be mad at me. That's the spirit of control. When you're fearing what someone else is going to do, and therefore you don't do it, you're being controlled. So we get to make really the decision about what's controlling us and what's not. The only thing you can control is yourself. I can invite you all into a process to help this church fulfill the vision of what God has given us here, which is massive. It's going to require change. It's going to require difficult decisions. It's going to require the, the intercessors on the hospitality team not being in the prayer circle on a Sunday morning, which is difficult. And yet, some of those things will help actually create the environment that launches us to the place that God has for us. So can we willingly come alongside and trust somebody to know something that I don't? Can we trust? I'll be as open and vulnerable with you about my life, about my experience, about my difficulty, because I want you to know 
I, I see you and I've been through it and I'm going through it. Okay? All of our leaders here have been through the fire of submission. Otherwise, they wouldn't be leaders <laughs> here. Just saying. That's a quality of character that we must have. So, that was a really awesome rabbit trail. Everybody said amen. amen. All right. I don't know if I need any more coffee. Hallelujah. So when God is ready to move into a territory, he sends out groups and then he'll send out pairs. He never sends anyone alone. He never sends anyone alone. We've done it alone and God's blessed it because he's merciful, but that's not his divine plan. Hey, yes, hallelujah. He says, you can't fulfill my plans for your life on your own. You were never meant to fulfill your destiny solo. And some of the greatest lessons taught by Jesus are found in this chapter, right? Luke 9. He feeds 5,000, sends out the 12. They come back. He feeds 5,000. He's revealed as God, as the Messiah to the disciples. He predicts his death and resurrection. He's transfigured on the mount. He deals with who's the greatest in the kingdom of God. He stops the disciples from fireballing a city. Then he lets them know they have to give up everything to walk with him. That's all in Luke 9. It's a heavy chapter. Between the group outing and going out in pairs in Luke 11, we see that the disciples needed a deeper revelation of who they were and who God is. So between your last encounter, your last mission, and your next mission, there has to be a deeper revelation of who God is and what he wants to do in and through you. See, we get, we're like, give me what's next. I want to do, do, do. And he says, listen, you did a great job. You done did it. Now what I want to do is take you a little deeper in your revelation and understanding of who I am and who you are. Because the next time you go out, there's going to be greater fruit. So there might be a season between. There might be this season between activity where God actually wants to reveal some more. You're going to see 5,000 fed. You're going to want to fireball a city. He's like, no, 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 no. Don't do that. You might be in a place where you're thinking, this is the best encounter I've ever had where Jesus got transfigured on the mountain. So let's build some tents. And he's like, no, don't do that. We're going to operate in our relationship with Jesus in a manner that will require correction. It will require more training so that we know who he is well and who we are. Is this making sense? Okay. I love this because we see that God will show you your authority. Then he will train you to walk in it purely. We get enamored with walking in power, but we don't take the time to let God refine us and train us in our character and our understanding of him. And so between mission trips, John, Kevin, Dennis, between mission trips to Nicaragua, 
God's actually refining revelation for you so that when you go out again, you go with greater authority, with a greater anointing. It's not that you just keep carrying that first anointing that you got the first time. <laughs> From glory to glory to glory to glory. All right. So now let's dive into this next section. Two by two, right? Luke chapter 10, right? We see him now. He sends out 70 in pairs, and it's no longer just a group of 12. It's expanded. But now he knows that in order to prepare the way for him, for Jesus says, prepare a way for me to go into the region, there has to be an announcing of the kingdom of heaven. We have to announce the kingdom of heaven has come. All right, so let's look at this. Uh, two by two, Luke 10, God puts on us on mission to take territory from the enemy, establishing his kingdom. I'm going to read verses one through just one. I'm just going to read verse one because we'll do a whole nother message on the how they did it, right? In Luke 10, that's a whole nother message on how they went house to house, door to door, blessing, fellowshipping, meeting the needs in the community, and then declaring that the kingdom of God is coming to them. So we'll do a whole sermon on that. But, but what I want to touch on is this. After these things, the Lord appointed, say appointed. God wants you to accept an appointment. God wants you to accept an appointment, which is mission from the Lord. Self-appointment leads to disappointment. Jesus wants to appoint you. Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. You know, Jesus is about to come change the landscape of this region. And he wants to send us two by two into the region to prepare a way for him to come. God has assignments for us to take territory from the enemy and he wants to prepare the way. Of course, later we see in the, in the book of Acts that Paul goes with Barnabas, he goes with Silas, he goes with Timothy, he goes with Titus and other great people who he partners with in ministry. We even see Priscilla and Aquila, a couple doing ministry together. Um, we see these, this co-laboring relationship that, that Jesus model being played out in the book of Acts. Okay? Even in disagreement, even in difficulty. So why did God design the New Testament church to go at the minimum in pairs? Why is two better than one? Why two is better than, yep, that's Matthew 18, right? Okay, we could talk about the conventus, sivinorium, I believe in, in Latin it's called, right? Are you guys, are you guys aware of that? So if you know my teaching, I, I talk about this often in Matthew 18, where it says, where two or three gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound. Uh, and whatever you loose is going to be loosed. It's really cool. Matthew 18 is dealing with conflict in the church, right? It's talking about somebody's not unwilling to repent. So you go to them and, 
and then, you know, you then bring a brother with you, and, and then you're making some judgments, right? Matthew 18, are you familiar, like bringing correction to people? And in Matthew 18, what's amazing is that Jesus co-ops a Roman, this was a Roman citizen's um, tool that they would use if they needed to make a ruling and they didn't have a leading or leader or authority there. They didn't have a centurion there. They didn't have a consult. They didn't have any of the, any of the governors or anything like that to consult when they were in a place that didn't have the, the Caesar wasn't there. The citizens could agree on an issue and then declare that it was just as good as if Caesar was there. They could actually make laws as if Caesar was there. It's actually a it was a Roman tool that was used for Roman citizens. And Jesus then teaches his disciples as citizens of the kingdom of heaven where two or three are gathered in my name. It's not Caesar who's present, it's me. Jesus who's present. And I will treat that as if it's law if you come into agreement. Pretty cool. So, I've got four other reasons why God said that two is better than one. The first one is wisdom. Wisdom, okay? Wisdom. Wisdom. Proverbs, um, I just want to read this here. Proverbs eleven fourteen says... Where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselor, there is safety. Okay. All right. 2 Timothy 2.2. And the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Okay. Sometimes I feel like I've got clarity and then I talk to someone and I realize I wasn't seeing some of the key pieces that I needed to consider. Anybody else ever been there? Like, I think I got it dialed, but then nope. It's not happening. We need each other for the sake of wisdom. We need to be able to bounce ideas off each other, help each other in a process. Okay. Number two is willingness. Sometimes our will ain't motivating. When we lack motivation or we have a weakness in our godly character, a partner will hold us accountable. They can recognize the areas we are weak in and help push us. Jesus prodded his disciples to move past their flesh in prayer, right? We see that in Mark 14. Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Sometimes we need someone to grab us by the hand and say, come on, you can do it. I don't feel like ministering to these ungrateful people today. Well, come on, man, you're called. Let's go. I don't know if I want to show up for that. Come on, man, let's go. I, don't, I feel kind of uncomfortable praying for people on the street. Come on, man, let's go. Sometimes our willingness needs help. 
And when we go two by two, we hold each other accountable. We're able to do that. We know in Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. The third way is worship. We come together and we celebrate together. We worship together. We rejoice over the great things that God has done together. When you're by yourself, you go, oh, that was nice. But when you're with somebody, you can celebrate the victory. We need to learn how to celebrate the victories better. We see this in John 4, 35 and 36. Jesus says, do, not, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. We get to rejoice together. And of course, I love in Luke 10, the, two, the pairs come back, right? And they're so jazzed. The 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. There's celebration when we go out together. When maybe I wasn't willing and we can celebrate like, dude, you did it. You made it through. We give all the praise to the Father and we get to celebrate together. Now, Kara, I want you to make sure the volume is okay for this next one. Can you go make sure the volume on the computer is good? Thank you so much. I want to talk about the fourth thing and it's warfare. And the reason why I want to talk about this is you may have to... Um, I'm just realizing... Let's just leave it. Let's see, let's see what we need. The technical difficulties are real, people. I'm anticipating that we haven't even had a difficulty. But I know all the issues that are about to happen because I'm going to show a video on spiritual warfare. When you are isolated and you are by yourself, you, it's very hard to withstand attacks. This is why the devil wants people to be isolated. Yep. This is why when people are having a difficult time, they, they, God's like, mm, just stay home. You don't need to go. What good did they do for you anyways? <laughs> I've been there. Amen. Amen. I was really blessed that the Lord told me when I very, at the very beginning of my walk with Christ. Chris, if the doors are open, show up. And man, I'll tell you, if I missed, if I missed a meeting, if I missed something, I was like, I felt like, oh no, I'm about to backslide. It was that serious for me. Like if the door is open, I have to be there because I know what I'm capable of on my own and it ain't good. <laughs> so let's watch this video on warfare. Oh, it's pretty good. Praise God. As they mature, young males begin to explore the boundaries of the pride's territory.
Red has ventured out alone. straight into the middle of the hyena clam. <laughs> He's trapped by over 20 of them. number of hyenas could kill him. It's impossible to fight them all at once. He can't keep them at bay for much longer. He's tiring fast. His ally, Tartu, has heard the commotion. <laughs> now the odds have changed. for 20 hyenas. A pair of male lions is too much to take on. Red is lucky. Warfare. I saw that and we were, uh, I've been just soaking up stuff on synergy and pairs and I saw that a while back and I was like, that really to me hit the spot on this concept that two is better. Two is better. And, you know, I will say this, God has provided us a way to escape every temptation, right? And he wants us to lean into him to encounter his goodness. Most of our warfare is what's happening in the six inches in our temp between our temples. 
Most of our warfare is in how we think and the way that we're viewing the world. It has much less to do with the actual circumstances that we're in than the way that we view them. And when the enemy... The enemy wants you to fight battles that you think are too big for you to handle. He wants you to fight battles that you think are too big for you to handle. In uh, Proverbs 17, 17, it says, A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. We see Moses is about to be sent off to the mountain to watch and die, not ever entering into the promised land. And he writes this song in Deuteronomy 32. He's handed off the authority to Joshua, and they have this final moment where he writes this song, and him and Joshua do this song together. It's very cool. And one of the things he says in verse 30 of Deuteronomy 32 How could one chase a thousand and two put 10,000 to flight unless their rock had sold them and the Lord had surrendered them? When when we recognize that one can put a thousand and two can put 10,000, it is the Lord in the work between you and someone with you that puts 10,000 to flight. Ecclesiastes 4, 4.12 is a famous, right? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And the threefold cord is not quickly broken. The reality is when it comes to doing things two by two, I recognized even this morning during our prayer time as a worship team before practice this morning, as we were seeking the Lord, Mika began to talk about how often people are um, brought out of their destiny by offense. And uh, my friend Mark Crawford, they'll be, he's going to be here in May. And um, along with Peter DeWitt and, and Malvina, um, that's kind of this group that, that I do a lot of stuff with, um, great friends of mine. He says often offense is the doorway to destiny. And I think that there might be some two-by-twos that the devil worked really hard to make sure they were one-by-one. Some partnerships that God had for you where the enemy came in and created a fence. Now, now trust me, let me, whenever I talk about offenses, I hear everyone go to the extremes. Stop going to the extremes. no. I'm not telling you to go back into an abusive relationship because it's God's will. Can we just stop that? Can you guys hear what I'm saying, please? Okay. Can we just like, there's some relationships, not all. There's some relationships that have been broken by a demonic push to keep you guys apart. And it happened through offenses. It didn't happen out of abuse. It didn't happen. It's just like they didn't do something you wanted them to do or you didn't do something they wanted to do and you guys are kind of mad at each other and you feel very justified that they need to call me first. Right? 
That's the opposite of the scriptures, by the way. That's, that's the opposite of scripture. If your brother has something against you, you leave your gift at the altar and you go to them. As much as you're able to, try. But I think that there's been some offense for some of us on some God and divinely um, established relationships. And, and you can tell, I can tell often when someone's about to hit destiny because the offenses start amping up. Suddenly they're getting offended by little things. Well, they didn't say that the right way. I'm like, oh, destiny's here. If we're getting offended by our judgments of other people, usually it means that we're on the precipice of a breakthrough. Because <laughs> offense will keep you out of your destiny. Now, I think that for some of you, as I began talking about this, God already highlighted the person that you need to reconcile with. For others, you're like, I got no clue. Well, just rest it before the Lord and see if he's got something for you. If he does, great. If not, great. Okay? I don't think this is for everybody. It just is like, oh, I need to point that out because God actually meant you to go on mission with some people in your life. Maybe it was a mentor that maybe there's just like, you just need to release and the offense and have like that, like, I forgive you. <laughs> like, literally forgive them. Maybe try to reconcile the relationship. And if it's not reconcilable, it's okay. You do your part. That's all you can do. You can't control what they're going to do. I tried to reconcile. I'm, I, if you don't know, I'm, I'm divorced. My first marriage, my best man, um, I, I tried to, when I came to the Lord, I, I called him. And I'm like, hey, man, I'm so sorry about everything. He's like, I don't ever want to talk to you again. Don't ever talk to me again. Blocked on all the things like, see ya, we're done. I don't care if you've repented. That was hard. I just did my part and let, let the Lord have it. That's all you can do. So as we talk about going two by two as well, not only are there might be some offenses that have prevented a divine partnership for you to go and build your ministry or, or, or develop what God has in you. But I also think that there's mentors that, you've, that have tried to mentor you in your life, but you haven't let them because you think you know more than they do. And that's the opposite of what we started with, right? And this concept of humility says that I can receive from anyone. Right? And so there might be something, some mentoring relationship that's a two by two for you. That's how Paul did a lot of his journeys. Two by two was with him and a, and a disciple that he would take with him into the lion's den. Sorry, Timothy, you're going to have to chop it off, buddy. We're going in the lion's den. Talk about submission. And look at the authority he ended up pastoring the largest church in the world in Ephesus. So. With all that, I think God wants to align you with his divine will as it comes, as it, as it pertains to divine partnerships that he has for you. So will you stand with me as we close out our message today?
Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you that you are doing a new thing in us. You're doing a new thing. You're causing your goodness and your will to be poured out in a new way. So Lord, I ask for every single person here that you would reveal to them those divine partnerships that they are to be in. Those people that they need to be locking arms with, those people, God, that you want them to support, they not just be supported by, those people, God, that they need to serve, not just to be served. Father, I pray that you would create opportunity for every single person in this place to find a partner in ministry. I thank you, Jesus, that you even assigned which two were going to go together. So Jesus, we're asking that you bring us some divine assignments so that we can prepare the way for revival in this community. I pray, God, give us some divine assignments because you want to reveal your glory and your goodness. Father, I thank you so much for each person that's here. And I pray that for everyone who's been battling alone, that they would have a friend that is closer than a brother. Father, I pray that there would be comfort and strengthening and worship, that there would be wisdom, that there would be that, that accountability to do the hard things, God. I pray that those relationships would arise and they would thrive in Jesus' name. And God, I'm asking for every single one of those relationships that you would guard it from offenses, from unnecessary offenses. From those things that don't matter, we would not make it matter. We would not make a priority of those things that are actually not important. Father, I thank you and I praise you that you're working something phenomenal in each one of us. And we want to align in the opposite spirit of what our region's independent, self-willed spirit is. We want to be a people who are submitted to you, God. We want to be a people who are submitted to one another in love. We believe, God, that there is a mission and a vision that you brought us all here for, and it is to see revival come to this region. It is for discipleship to happen in this region. It is for souls and lives to find a refuge for healing. It is for those who are called to be mentored and discipled and, and brought into the fullness of their calling and their destiny so that they can be launched to change the region. Father, I thank you that you did not call us to just a holy huddle, but you called us to do something that very few places have ever seen, and it is for revival to come to this region. Father, I'm praying that you would change our hearts in any ways that it needs changing, that you would upgrade our thinking in any ways it needs upgrading, that you would awaken us to the truth of your word. God, we repent for our independent thinking. For thinking I get to just do it alone, my way, and not lean into you. Forgive us, God. Forgive us, God. We come fully submitted to you and we say, God, even if you want me to work with that person, <laughs> that drives me a little crazy. Father, if you ask, I'll do it. Because it's your will, not mine. Let your will be done, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I do want to say that for some of you, um, there's a, there is something about 
the mission of God on your life that you haven't discovered yet. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, you will never know what your mission in life is. You don't know what you're called to if you don't know Him. If you can't hear His voice in the Scriptures and while you pray, you don't know Him. He loves you. He wants a deep relationship with you. And if you are like, yeah, you know what? I don't know God. We want to pray with you today so that you can receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. For those of you who've been like, I've been on the outside looking in far too long. I have not been connecting. I have not been doing what the Lord's wanted me to do. I've decided to go my own way instead of coming into the body of Christ. I've, I've decided not to fellowship with family and I've, I've just done it my own way. Today is a great day for you to commit yourself to a family, to commit yourself to the body because he's here for you. There's amazing men and women of God here that want to build relationship with you, help you, mentor you, guide you, walk with you through thick and thin. Okay? So if, if for any of those reasons, and the last reason is if you're unclear about why you're here, and you love Jesus, you know Jesus, you know he's got something great for you, but if you're not sure, I want our leadership team, it's going to come up, and we're just going to pray with you, okay? See, now, sometimes I, when I first got saved, I walked into um, a Assembly of God in Sweet Home, Oregon, um, as an alcoholic, a total train wreck, brand new believer, and this old minister, older gal minister from the Church of God, which we are she walks in. God told me to come. She said, God told me to come over today. So she walks in the office. Everybody knew her in a small town. And she grabs my hands and she says, you're the reason why I'm here. And she starts prophesying, telling me things that I was going to do in my life. And I was wrecked. Because I'm like, I am not that guy. But she was seeing something that I couldn't see. And our leaders hear the Lord pretty well. Not perfectly, nobody does. But we, we hear the Lord pretty well. And I believe that if you've been curious about your call, curious about your destiny, if you want to give your life to Jesus today, if you want to dedicate yourself to committing to a family of believers, if you want to do any of that, you want to hear about your destiny, I'm putting my leaders on the spot, but they're, they're, they're always ready. Yeah, might be, might be. Um, so uh, we, we just want to take some time and pray with you and bless you. So um, with that, I'm just going to close this in prayer and the altar will be open for prayer. Okay. Heavenly Father, thank you for what you're doing in this place. We give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. We declare, God, that you're good. We thank you that, that we get to go two by two into this community and bring your good news of the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is here. And we thank you, God, that each one of us can encounter you in, in dramatic ways. And we bless your name in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. 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 So come on up, team. If anybody needs prayer, come on up. Thank you for joining us today. Harvest Valley Worship Center is called to be a refuge for healing and a launch pad for transformation.
If this message impacted you today, please let us know in a comment, or you can email us at media at hvwc.com. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to connecting with you.